attention to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 22. And I need a little bit more monitor here, Mr. Mr. Soundman back there. Hallelujah. If I can turn these pages, man, these things are thin. All right, Deuteronomy 22. And we're going to look at one verse of Scripture here, verse number 5. Deuteronomy 22 and verse number 5, and the word of God said, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. I want to read that again in the face of every lion devil in this world. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. And I want to talk to us about the divine dress code. Now, you know you ain't going to hear this anywhere else, so we're going to talk about it tonight. And you can tell the pastor is back in the saddle because we're not afraid to talk about it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, by the authority of the name of Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for timeless truths that were in existence before the foundation of the world. God, I pray that you will give us a heart and a mind to understand true glory and the power and the purpose of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name tonight. Everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. You know, I was going to say something about Brother Ramil's wife tonight, which is our very own Sister Melody. You know, that was her brother that gave a war hoop right there. We have a lot of pregnant women in this church. That is the will of God. We do not believe in abortion at any time, under any situation. Come on, I'm doing a lot of stuff. I want the devil to know what we believe tonight. Every once in a while, it's a good thing to declare some truths for no other reason, just to remind the devil that this truly is an apostolic, Bible-believing church. 
world is becoming reprobate. The word reprobate, reprobate simply means without judgment, the inability to properly judge. And what's happening is, is because things have been, become so political and things have become so socially acceptable, it's, it's almost become a norm to be afraid publicly to say what you believe for fear of what somebody else is going to think, even though we're supposed to be a nation that's founded on the First Amendment. And so really, it's not true. You really, you really, there really isn't freedom of speech um, unless you have more of your people there than the enemy because you're in danger. But I have heard recently about some of the things that are being espoused, uh, and this is not intended to be a political, um, a political rally or, or taking a political... I'm not here to take a political position. I'm here to take the position of the Word of God. And if that makes our culture uncomfortable, that's just too bad. I'm going to take God's side in every argument. I don't care who it displeases. I don't care if it hairlips the devil. I don't even know where I picked up that saying. It must have been down south somewhere. But... Really, that's what the church is called to do, is to take God's side. You know, without, without scorn, without putting everybody in hell, there is a way to do that. But nonetheless, we are called upon to take God's side. And that's true in everything, regardless of what the issue is. And there are so many issues... So many things that are being espoused in our world today that can take us all night and beyond tonight to cover each and every one of them. But I do want to talk about this tonight. I want to talk about uh, the divine dress code. Um, now, even before, even before I carefully move into this and responsibly move into this tonight, you have to understand that even so-called Christianity will tell you that this stuff doesn't really care. Whenever you hear that, um, I had a man um, that up until recently was my friend. Nobody here in this church uh, knows this man except for Brother Chris Earls. He was here on Sunday. Um, Brother Sergio told me he was here. And when he came here, I was delighted to see him. I was surprised, but delighted that he was here. He immediately came into my office and sat down and began to talk about a million miles an hour about why he was in the predicament that he was in. And he told me, he said that uh, I am, God's called me to be a prophet for him. Doctrine does not matter. And the first flag went up. The first of many flags went up. And when it was all said and done, I politely had to ask him uh, that it was time for him to leave. and all this other stuff, and you just have to understand that there are people in this world that have a very slanted and fragmented view of the Bible, and 
people are saying that, you know, God doesn't care about this. I, whenever somebody says God doesn't care, they are already moving into the direction of personal opinion and really how they feel about something. God cares about everything. He really does. He really does. And granted, there are some things that are supremely and chiefly more important than other things. Okay? But everything matters. Everything matters. And the more that you become led of the Spirit in, in your life, and the more that you become full of the Holy Ghost, and the more that you give up of yourself and you and you give to God's principles, which is his, the Word of God and the power of the Holy Ghost to lead you to follow the Word of God, you're going to find out that more and more and more things matter. Every action, every thought, every word, every deliberation, every imagination, everything. And you're thinking, Pastor, I just can't live this. Oh, yeah, yes, you can. But you got to do it according to God's rules. You're not going to be lazy and walk in the Spirit. I'm not trying to paint something negative because it is a joy. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be right with God, right with others, and right with yourself? That's what righteousness is. Who wouldn't want peace? Who wouldn't want joy? I think we ought to clap our hands and give him praise that these things are freely available to us. But you can't just sit back there and be lazy about your walk with God. You have to be proactive. You have to be assertive. You have to, you have to get after it. So look at your neighbor and say, get up and go. If you've made mistakes, get it under the blood. We don't understand how powerful the blood is. See, the devil wants to parade every mistake you've ever made before your eyes because he knows that that will debilitate you. But you have to understand, when he shows you your mistake, you just say, no, that's under the blood. They overcame him, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony was, that's not me, that was me. But this is me now. I'm going to live right. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be an overcomer. I'm going to walk in victory. Let's all clap our hands and give him praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Looking at this verse um, tonight, Deuteronomy 22.5. stands out like a skyscraper on the horizon because, because I think immediately we see an incredible principle of how God thinks. And it's amazing. There's a lot of people who say, well, I don't really know what God's thinking. This book 
is a revelation of how God thinks. And some of you will say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, until God gives that to you specifically, and it's confirmed most notably by your pastor, and that's, that's to keep you safe, this is the will of God. Somebody would say, well, I don't understand the ways of God, his characteristics, how he feels about things. Ladies and gentlemen, exhibit A. This is his will. This is his ways. And this is how he feels about things. And so in Deuteronomy 22.5, there is a confrontation between our present world and timeless truth. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination. placement of this scripture is found in the book of Deuteronomy, which the definition of the word Deuteronomy means a second giving of the law. The first law, of course, was given at Mount Sinai, the establishment and the basis of the Mosaic Covenant, and it was given to God's people that had come out of Egyptian bondage. However, there's been a lot of time that has transpired between what was given on Sinai and what is now being given in Deuteronomy, which is given to the nation of Israel, which actually is another generation. You may remember that the generation that sinned in the wilderness, according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Numbers chapter number 14, and other biblical places, was a generation that God was not pleased with them. They saw the miracles. God, you know, the reason why God hardened Pharaoh's heart was so God could continue to convince not the Egyptians to let his people go. It was so God could convince his people that leaving a culture that you've become inculcated and inundated with for over 430 years, that God, the miraculous, all-powerful, all-wonderful God is greater than the polytheism and the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, you would think that that would be an easy deal to do, but not so fast. Because that same generation that saw these incredible miracles and the same generation that saw and heard the moaning and the cries of the households of Egypt as the death angel passed over. That's where the word Passover comes from in Jewish uh, culture, is the passing over of the death angel, because the nation of Israel was required to take a spotless lamb and to apply the blood on the doorposts of their house. And every household that did not have blood applied, the death angel visited it. You would have thought that the nation of Israel would be jumping up and down and saying, we have never seen a demonstration of this kind of power. 
we have never seen anybody that could challenge the Pharaoh and all of their all of their false religiosity. But God came in to this generation that was in bondage and showed great and mighty miracles to convince them we all need to get out of here. And you know the story. The nation of Israel leaves. They're up against the Red Sea. They look in the distance, and here comes a cloud of dust revealing that Pharaoh and his armies are coming back to take the children of Israel back to Egypt. God splits the Red Sea. They walk over on dry shod. They get on the other side. Here comes Pharaoh and his armies right in the middle of the Red Sea. Now you're thinking, you know, this is, this is just fairy tale stuff. I want to tell you, the same God that did that is in this room tonight. The same God did that is in my heart tonight. The same God that did that is in your life tonight. We cannot allow unbelief and hardness of heart to calcify us and remove us from the promises of this book. Clap your hands and give him praise. If we're not careful, we'll become so sophisticated and intellectual that we don't even believe God to do this stuff anymore. That's not almost right. That is right. We are rich in increase with goods and have need of nothing. And so the nation of Israel comes out, and immediately the problems start. Very first place they came to was called the waters of Mara. They were tempted with the bitterness test. Getting bitter is one of the very first things that you need to learn to overcome in the nation of Israel. They struggled with that. The waters of Mara were too bitter to drink. God gave direction to the leadership to cut down a branch with a tree that is not even indigenous. It's not even indigenous. It's not even a local plant. But it neutralized the waters and turned them from being bitter to sweet. If you'll put the branch in your trial, and that branch was Christ, they fell into resisting godly authority. There was people that rose up against Moses. We don't like it out here. It's hot. It's dry. You're making us dig our own bathrooms. The food, it all tastes the same. It looks the same. These little white things that fall out of the sky. The fornication started. The idol don't 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 change your channel on me. I'm I'm teaching tonight. See, one of the things that's facing our church right now is we're in the middle of a building program, and half of our church isn't here tonight. I thank God for you that are here. God bless you. I'm telling you what's happening. There's an enculturation. The tail is trying to wag the dog. You've got, I'm dealing with numerous people that have habitually made it up in their minds. We do not go to midweek service. We only show up for Sunday service. Good. That's exactly what the Catholics do. And see, you can't push people anymore, even if it is spiritual authority. 
even if it is the Word of God. People are feeling rough. So what you have to understand is as an apostolic pastor, you have to keep your sword out, and you have to continue to present the Word of God, and we have got to have a move of God because we are not going to back down. We are not going to get carnal. We are not going to backslide. This is the day of our greatest revival. I'm telling you, the Bible said men will die for the spirit of fear that comes on people that no longer have answers. They go to the store and there's empty shelves. The, the, the Antichrist is moving and rumbling and, and all these spirits are on the loose. Hateful birds and evil spirits that move into people's families and into their homes and into their minds. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Cornerstone to have Holy Ghost revival like we've never had before. It's time. For, it, my God, if we. I'm thoroughly convinced of this. I'm thoroughly believer of this. This is our greatest hour. Clap your hands and give him praise. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, people are getting the Holy Ghost every week in this church. Now we just got to go back at them. The minute they get the Holy Ghost, the devil starts working on them. That generation that saw the miracle. They did not believe that God could take them into the promised land because they were totally, they were led by what they saw instead of based on what they knew. They forgot that water turned into blood. They forgot that frogs entered into Pharaoh's palace that did not enter into one, into one stew that lived in Goshen. There might have been lice that proliferated through the streets of Egypt that didn't enter into one of their homes. The lice went out in Egypt, but they didn't go out in Goshen. But they forgot because of the journey. They forgot because hours turned into days, and days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. They forgot the power and the relevance of their God. That's God perfecting your faith. That's because God sees more in you than you're manifesting. And God knows the only way that he's going to mind that is he's got to stir up the gift for you. He's got to create an environment where we need to pray. We need to get through this. We need to get around this mountain. You cannot speak to a mountain until you've learned to climb the mountain.
So that entire generation died in the wilderness. First generation, the ones that saw the miracles, the one that experienced the Red Sea, the ones that saw the thundering and the lightning and the power and the sound of the trumpet that made them quake in their sandals. You're saying, how could that happen? They got bitter, they got ugly, they got hard in their heart. They complained, they whined. And so the second giving of the law, which is the definition of the word Deuteronomy, is where we find this statement. So Moses is now giving this to a fresh generation. And it is a generation that will just in a few days go into the promised land. But they will go under the leadership of Joshua. And so the reason why this particular scripture is placed here is a warning. Because this generation, this the predominant focus of this generation may have heard about what God did in Egypt. May have heard what God did at the Red Sea. May have heard what God did for those first few days as they came out of Egyptian bondage. But they really were the children of nomads and wanderers. And so God is letting them know, you were about going into the promised land where all of your neighbors, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Perizzites, and the Yadassites, you are to be a Peculiar people. It's not almost like that is like that. This is a critical understanding because we see even at the time of the kings, the nation of Israel was continuing to struggle with their identity. Because here, even in the promised land, now now they're finally in the land that was possessed by giants. They're finally in houses they didn't build. They're finally enjoying gardens they didn't plant. They're enjoying the benefits of husbandry and domestication through milk and honey. But the minute that God talks to them about being a theocracy, they said, give us a king. It's because they assumed that all the other nations that were represented by, whether it was a monarchy or totalitarianism or whatever it might have been, whatever despot was in control, that we cannot have identity without a centralized human leader. Because they're wanting to fit in with all the other nations. And God was displeased again with another generation. So God gave them a request and gave them a king. And so God is warning them about this cross-dressing. When you read through Deuteronomy 22, there is a lot of warnings against mixing clothing, a donkey with an ox, 
all kinds of, we're not going to do an exegesis of this because I want to spend all my time on Deuteronomy 20 through 5. In the midst of all these warnings about mixing things, this is the only one that is attached to an abomination. An abomination is something that is utterly disgusting to God. It is something that is detestable, repulsive. In the word picture, which which is idiomatic that we see in Revelation chapter number 3 with the Laodicean church to the lukewarm, where the Lord says to those that are lukewarm, I will spew you, I will spit you out of my mouth. That is idiomatic. It's something that is abominable to God. The word abomination is used 117 times throughout Scripture and is most the most illustrative word to describe how God feels about a particular act or a thing. It is more than a sin against nature. It is a sin against the holiness and the being of God. Leviticus chapter number 18 and verse number 22 says, that thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, It is abomination. This is regarding homosexuality in any degree. Deuteronomy 23 and 18. Thou shalt not bring the hire of a whore or the price of a dog. That's actually talking about a male prostitute. Into the house of the Lord thy God for any vow. For even both these are abomination unto the Lord thy God. The money that is paid to a prostitute is to never be brought in to God's house. Deuteronomy chapter number 18, verses 9 through 12. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination, or an observer of times. That's very interesting. Or an enchanter, or a witch. I've actually met a witch um, several years ago. A dear friend of mine, Brother John Shoemake, and his wife were staying with my wife and I, and we all gathered down around the coffee pot the next morning, and Brother Shoemake came into the kitchen, and he said, I didn't sleep a wink last night. I said, oh, man, what's going on? He said, God gave me a vision of a witch that's praying against his church. And I thought, man, I've paid all this money to get you here. Can't you tell me something good like pennies? Like we're going to have great revival. And He said, God showed me everything about this witch except her face. He described her house. He went into great detail about her house. And he said every room in her house, was the walls were painted different colors. And my wife said, I know who that is. But we've still, we just kind of shelved it and went about our way. This, this un, I shouldn't say unbelievable because I want you to believe this. But I want to tell you, the supernatural is at work all the time. We were having a Christmas banquet several years after that. Listen to how uncanny this is. 
we were having a Christmas banquet at the Davenport Hotel, and Brother John Shoemake was speaking. And that witch showed up. I walked out into, um, we were in like one of the ballrooms there, very fancy ballroom there on the first floor, just above the first floor, very fancy room. And I was walking out, um, Brother Shoemake, myself, and some others were just walking out, greeting some people that were there. And all of a sudden, there was a woman that used to go to this church years before, and her husband, who was virtually, he was like a mute. He didn't talk. How you doing? How you doing? He was like a mute. And his, the wife did all the talking. He didn't do any talking. And she, when she saw me, she came after me. And in a flash, in a flash, God brought that very first time that Brother Shoemaker was at my house. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, that's the witch. And there was stuff that I won't bore you with tonight. There's stuff. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there's stuff that I have dealt with with people. You couldn't handle it. Well, you could. Maybe. You need a big box of popcorn. You need a big gulp, and you can't bring that in the church. You need a real good prayer meeting, a big box of popcorn, a big gulp, and then just let me tell you about all the stuff I've dealt with. And you just go, I can't believe that, Pastor. I can't believe you're still doing this. Pastor, I can't believe you're still doing this. I'm still doing this because of the power of God. I'm still doing this because this is a calling. It's not an occupation. It's not a hobby. It's not a pastime. Come on, somebody, clap your hands. Because I learned a long time ago, greater is he that is in me. And life is an adventure if you know that God is with you. Life is an adventure if you really know God's with you. If you're not really sure of that, you're going to be, the deeper you get in this, you're going to be telling, yeah, <laughs> no, go pray. Take some melatonin and get a good night's sleep. Have a good, strong cup of coffee. And then go pray. And then we'll talk. And we'll, let's go cast out some devils. In that order. All right. Okay, we're reading this very important scripture. Some of you in the back, stay awake because we need this tonight. Okay. There shall not be found among you an enchanter or a witch. Next verse. I've actually heard of apostolic people going to palm readers. Because they never de developed the part. They, they never really knew God. If you ever really get a relationship with God, you won't even. Every time you pass one of those palm readers, you're going to go, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I rebuke that. Close that adult bookstore down. Close that palm reader down. Close that nonsense down. It's a bunch of baloney. Or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits. Or a, listen, some of those people really hear from devils. 
And if the devil put a thought in your brain and the devil saw you respond to that thought and then the devil tells his guy that that person's been thinking that thought, you're going to go, oh, Lord. They must be in touch with spirits. But guess what? You've got a spirit in you that is more powerful than all those spirits combined. I know you already know that, so we're going to move on. Verse number 12. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God does drive them out before thee. Listen. There is no competition. There is none. You know what I figured out? This church has got more visitors than just about any apostolic church I've ever been in. It can be anywhere from 5 to 20 on any given Sunday. I've not talked to one visitor that doesn't like this. No, I'm serious. I've never seen one visitor... Look at, look at our beautiful, godly women that have uncut hair and walk in holiness and say, I don't like that. Their challenge is they don't think they can do it. They don't understand. We're not doing this to be saved. We're doing this because we are saved. I don't do this to get a relationship with God. I do this because I have a relationship with God. I don't do this so I can gain points with God. I do this because I love God. Clap your hands and give him the praise. Oh, Brother David, the big D over here. Remember, remember those guys that came to this church? I got down to pray on a Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, and God completely changed what I was going to talk about and said, you preach out of James chapter 5. Okay. I walked by an 85-year-old man that was sitting right here. I can't even remember his name right now. Shook his hand. He, as I walked by, he said, man, I'm here to hear, I'm here to hear from James 5 today. I thought, uh-oh, something going on. So you building that church out there, you get in alignment with God, and God's going to start bringing people to you. God doesn't expect you to wear yourself out, but he does expect you to get in alignment, and God will do the work. And God brought that guy here, and that guy brought three other guys, two other guys, and we baptized every one of them. But here's the deal. They loved it. They've never seen, they've never seen a preacher do this before. They've never seen aged, respectful, beautiful saints run the aisle. Young people living for God. Young ladies looking pure and godly and holy. and Young men in fully clothed and in their right mind. Most of them anyway. They're thinking, my old pastor, don't pick on me tonight. Okay. People come in here. They say, I've never seen this. This is awesome. This is incredible. We had a woman come in, very dignified woman, well-to-do woman, came in and said, I've never seen anything like this. I love the spirit. I love the order. The young people, everything. It's like the queen of Sheba comes in. She says, the half has not been told. They don't think they can live it. You don't understand. You're not expected to live this. You're not expected to look this way. We do this because we know him. We love him. Come on, somebody help me out. This is for everybody. This is for every color. This is for every nation. This is, 
Tell you what, if you get the Holy Ghost, good and proper, Brother Charles, what's that black brother's name that you brought? And his wife's name is Amber. Man, I talked to that guy on Sunday. I don't know one thing about that man. You know what he told me on Sunday, Elder? He said, from the moment that I walked in Cornerstone, he says, Pastor, I have not been the same. There are people by the hundreds that God's bringing in from over here and God's bringing in from over there. And God, he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you be lost. I'm not going to let the devil have you. But, honey, we ain't changing nothing. We're going to worship. We're going to pray. We're going to give him glory. We're going to preach. We're going to pray. We're going to live for God. Clap your hands and give a shout unto the Lord. The worst thing that you can possibly be in the Word of God, even worse than being a reprobate, is to be an abomination. Hallelujah. Now the last scripture to look at this is in Leviticus 18, 26 through 30. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth or travels with you. Next verse. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. God can actually look at a nation or a country or a people that have become so infiltrated with these abominations that he says the land is defiled. The next verse. That the land spew not you out also when you defile it as it spewed out the nations that were before you. Next verse. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the soul's that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Next verse. Therefore shall ye keep my ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Let's clap our hands and give God the praise. I love his judgments. I love his judgments. I love his promises. I love it all. Praise God. The reason why all this is found in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, we're moving, we're moving towards this new group of people going into the promised land. God is already warning them. We don't have anything to do with you. In our scripture tonight, it's basically talking about woman wearing a garment that pertaineth to a man. 
pertains to a woman. The reason, among other reasons, but the chief reason is for the distinction of genders. A man is a man is a man. A woman is a woman is a woman. At this particular time, the nation of Israel had become an entire culture. And culture, the health of any culture before God, is based on gender distinction. You can see why the devil is trying to have an end-time revival right under our nose. He has evaporated and eradicated. People are now claiming to be binary. People are claiming to be this and that. Bisexual, asexual, transsexual. All this stuff. And it is the devil using ignorant, demonically in charge people to thumb their nose at God. Well, I want to tell you, there is a church in this region. We are not bowing to that. We are not bending to that. We're not even going to listen to that. In fact, anybody that comes in here is going to hear the will of God and the word of God and the ways of God. We are not here to be adversarial. We are not here to be prideful. We are not here to be arrogant. But we are here to let our world know that God will deliver you and knock that foolishness out of your life so that you can be what God created you to be. Clap your hands and give him praise. Let hell know that we're on the prowl tonight. and a renewal of drag queens. I'm serious. I'm not just pulling this out for Pentecostal entertainment tonight. I'm telling you that there's a thing in our world called drag queen story hour that is proliferating through our nation, that is being taught in city libraries, being taught in schools, and being taught in bookstores. That is of diversity. It has 48 chapters in the United States and it's growing. And the premise is is that a drag queen will come into the school and will read a book about diversity and schools are falling for this. My God, Cornerstone, we need to give more money so we can build a school and help our students. You say, well, my kids are all grown. They don't need it. God will bless you if you help somebody else's kid. Come on, we got mothers running. I need some dads to run. I didn't come here to improve my golf score. I didn't come here to get my picture on the face of the herald. I came here to shake my fist into the power of darkness and say we are going to build a church right here. not here to talk about all this stuff tonight, but I want this church to know I have done my homework. I've done everything I can do. I got us approved by the state of Washington to start our own school. 
were approved by the city of Liberty Lake to go ahead and build it. I've done everything I can do. I need a people to rise up and say we're going to go out of here with a blaze of glory. Come on, clap your hands. It's all about the children. Israel, it's all about the children. America, it's all about the children. Cornerstone. I'm not even supposed to talk about this stuff tonight. I'm, I'm worked up about this. Well, pastor, what happens if we don't sell this church? If we don't sell this church, we're turning this into a school. We are going to have a school right in the face of the devil, right in the face of our governor, right in the face of our mayor, right in the face of the powers of darkness. And we're going to have Pentecostal teachers. I need some older ones to get a revelation and say, I'm going to go out of this, and I'm going to get some points with God. I'm going to go out of this, and I'm going to destroy the works of the devil. We've got people in our world, their mind has been completely warped and shaped by an ideology that is anti-God. It's not just void of God. It is anti-God. I get around other people that are 65 and they're all talking about retirement. They're all talking about maybe buying a second property in Scottsdale. I am not even talking about none of that stuff. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go in the pulpit. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go running the aisles. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go giving a Bible study. If I'm going to go, come on, Brother Robert. If we're going to do anything, let's go out with a blaze of glory. Devil, you might have had yesterday, but you are not going to have my tomorrow. I'm going to outdo every mistake. I'm going to outdo every flaw. Clap your hands and shout with a voice of triumph. You may be seated. We got all these pregnant mothers in this church. And that's okay. You just keep having babies. Just make sure you're married. Pastor's on a roll tonight. You know what? You ought to thank God for a pastor that's not settling in for some academic sophistication where I've lost sight of what this is really all about. I could have done that. I could have become, I could have gone that way. I put the brakes on that in my own life because I realized that's just going to take too much. And I've got too much, I've got, I don't have enough time left to do all that stuff. I'm going to get this thing as far as I can into enemy territory. And then we're going to give it, hand it off to a Joshua. These drag queens, which is just another word for a transvestite, are an abomination. And they're coming to a school near you. 
We've got teachers in this church. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the homosexual, the gay agenda is already gaining rapid ground in your school. You know it's the truth. You're saying, Pastor, let's build this school. Pastor, let's get, I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can. See, the older ones think, well, public school's like it was when I was a kid. It doesn't even resemble. Man, let's have a Sunday school that can run 300 instead of having 70. Well, Pastor, you know, that's a lot of work. Well, that's what we're called to do. This ain't a church of convenience. That's, that's down the street. They don't even own a building. They're not even interested in buying a building. We're here to get bigger buildings because we want more people in the kingdom than there was when we got here. Go ahead and clap your hands. You can do it now. I'm not looking for a political business. I don't care about rubbing shoulders with, with, with all that. I don't have any hubris. I don't have any of that stuff. I want to see kids in this. I want to see families in this. I want to see people come, have the devil completely cast out of them and watch them run the aisles, watch them become holy, watch them grow, watch them get married, watch them be blessed of God. dress code, clothing that pertaineth to a man, and there's clothing that pertaineth to a woman. You can take that scripture right there, that principle will fit any culture at any time in any nation, because even if that culture has already made certain gender distinctions and determinations, you can live within that and not violate that scripture. devil wants people to take their clothes off. He's all about nakedness. But Jesus said that the shame of thy nakedness doth not appear. If the devil is operating in your life, he's trying to get you to see more nakedness. See, modesty is not always defined about what's covered, it's defined about what you're showing. There are some things that are only designed for only God to see. And when you get married, there's only some things that are designed for your husband or your wife to see. Immodesty is when you don't really care who sees what. I have never seen Hillary Clinton in a dress. You've seen her in one? Bring me the picture. Women culturally did not even wear pants in America until after the industrial, slightly during and after the industrial revolution, but more, more profoundly in World War II because they worked in factories. With the advent of television and movies, 
they were able to deconstruct the principles of previous generations that made America great. And now they could begin to insert their own value system straight out of Hollywood. And now, whatever is hip and cool and rad, how come when somebody says it's hot, that means it's good? Man, when something's hot, I don't even want to touch it. Man, that's bad. Well, then why do you like it? See, bad means good and hot means cool. And Dresses were designed for women. Culturally and principally, a dress is designed for a woman, and pants were designed for men. That's why in this church, we believe that men should look like men and women should look like women. When you get delivered, if any man is the friend of the world, he's the enemy of God. That includes styles. That includes trends. That includes your heroes. That includes somebody you're trying to be like. That includes somebody you look up to. That includes everything. Now, in the beginning of this, in most notably, because we'll, our minds will be able to understand this, during the Victorian age, they used the natural breaking points of the body to be those points in which determined their boundaries, which was the neck, the wrists, and the ankles. During the Victorian age, you never saw a woman's dress that was elevated above her ankles. All of the dresses, the sleeve length went to the wrist. And they wore their dresses, I don't know all the terminology, but the blouses all the way up to the neck. We don't follow those natural breaking points. We follow the breaking points of the elbows and the knees. I mean, you have to arrive at some kind of conclusion here or there's confusion. And God is not the author of confusion. What the people of God need is clarity with principle. And the principle is, is that the man should not wear a garment that pertaineth. It was designed. It has intention. It was not intended for a woman. It was intended for a man. It was not intended for a man. It was intended for a woman. It's original intention. And so, using spiritual common sense, we use the breaking points of the elbows and the knees, which is why we teach and believe that a woman's dress should be slightly below her knees when she's standing so that when she's sitting down, the edge of her skirt can still cover her knees for the sake of modesty. Modesty is not always what's covered. It's what you're not revealing. When God gives you understanding, that's because God has chosen to give you a revelation. He's, he's uncovering it for you to gain understanding. God's very careful who he reveals stuff to. You're not just going to walk in and say, oh, I'm not wearing that anymore. You're dizzy. Get off. Quit sniffing glue. God is like a gentleman that is interested in a young lady. He's very proper. As two people, a young man and a young lady in the church get to know each other. 
they are first finding out that they have the same interests. Do you like God? Oh, I love God. Do you like to pray? I love to pray. I've been reading this passage of Scripture, and that's how their conversation should begin. Not talking about what rap artist you got out in your car. Oh, I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight, ladies and gentlemen. This is an apostolic church. I don't want to be worldly. I don't want to be organizationally fit in with everybody. I want to be what God wants me to be. I would have never made it in a halfway backslid church. I would not be here tonight. I had to have this in my guts. I had to have it in my spirit. I had to have a revelation. You can take brother and sister sergeant. Don't scrunch, scrunch your jaw, brother. It's going to be good. But you could go back. How, how many years have you all been married? 53. She's got pens because she's underlining all the scriptures that I'm quoting. But if you could see brother and sister sergeant 55 years ago. See, in our day and age, everybody's using an app. They want to know how much skin they're going to see. It's of the devil. It is of the devil. It is an abomination. It dehumanizes people. It brings them to their lowest common denominator. It's what kind of pleasure am I going to get out of this? Gratification instead of intimacy. And it is impossible to have some of these things without God. Gratification is built in selfishness. But the young man begins to, hey, what you guys doing? Oh, Pastor, we just hanging out. Hanging out? What does that mean? To me, it means we're on the end of a rope, just kind of dangling. <laughs> what you all doing? We're just hanging out. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, we're just hanging out over here. I think what hanging out means is we checking each other out. That's okay if the mom and dad are sitting in the easy chair and they're looking at you like a tree full of owls. You go ahead and keep hanging out. Come on, I'm in the Holy Ghost tonight. You can, you can have problems with this all you want, but this is right. You bypass courtship, and you are headed to problems. So I'm going to define courtship for you here in a minute because it fits this so well. Courtship is when you've gained permission to visit. And you go to her house where she lives with her parents, and you man up. All you guys look at me. I don't care if you're six years old and you can't even pronounce the words I'm saying. Just listen up. You'd be man enough to ask her dad if you can visit her. 
Don't do this texting stuff under the sheets at 1 o'clock in the morning. Hey, what are you doing right now? I rebuke that in Jesus' name. You're headed for trouble. In fact, mom and dad, you need to go around at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. All right, get in your pajamas. Man, We, our whole family lived in pajamas. They, they, they had the boots, put them on. Mom and dad, you go around and say, all right, give me that cell phone. If your mom and dad says, give me your cell phone, I don't want to hear one of you back talking your mom and dad. You give them that cell phone. If you're look, if you got, listen, you got stuff on social media, you ought to be ashamed of. You are heading for trouble. You need to let your mom and dad, go ahead, look at my, Look at my Facebook, if you're even mature enough to have it. They're giving it to people that have no more morals than people in the world that don't even have the Holy Ghost. They, you're using profane. I've looked at some of it. And you're going to want to get a good guy? How many divorces you want? You don't even have to work at that. Mom and dad, every once in a while just nod with me and just say, Pastor, you just keep it up. That's good stuff. Maybe this ain't the right church for you. We ain't going to see any more kids backslide off these pews. Not over my, not because I wouldn't talk about it. You know what, pastors don't want to talk about this anymore. They don't want to offend mom and dad. They ain't got Bible quizzing teams. They don't have prayer meetings. They don't show up for midweek service. It's modern day Pentecost. While I'm breathing, and my name on the door, above the door, in the noose, says, Pastor, this is exactly what a pastor's supposed to do when I'm doing here tonight. You folks that are visiting with us, you just, you talk to somebody else, and they'll tell you he's warm and cuddly, and he's furry, just a little fuzzball of, but I'm tell you, I'm on God's side. You're not going to go to hell from a church pew because a pastor wouldn't talk about it. You're not going to go to hell from a church pew where you didn't know and you ain't never heard it before. No, we're going to talk about it because there's a devil that wants you. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking, looking, probing. man calls on the young lady, and they sit in the parlor. I never could figure out what that was. And they just get to know each other. Have you been reading what's your famous, your favorite Bible verse? Now, I went, I went to call on my wife, and her grandmother, who is a legend in Pentecost, was sitting right in the corner on that rocking chair. <laughs> Hi, Grandma. <laughs> I looked like a deer in the headlights. My wife sat over here. I sat way over here. When her grandma was in the room, yes, I did. Don't try to mess up my preaching. I'm preaching this tonight. 
How many of you want to hear what she has to say? So the real rule is anything you will do in front of your mother and father, that's what you can do. Right? If it's if you give them a chaste hug or a pat or a love or you sit next to them and you do it with kindness and true love towards them and you're not defiling them and you would do it in front of their mom and dad, that is what you're allowed to do. I think I've made my point. I don't remember ever trying to kiss her in front of her grandma. Her grandma was like the living book of Leviticus over there, just rocking. <laughs> grandma, have you been reading Leviticus 27 lately? Oh, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, I like that. Okay, what happens as you're courting? What happens as you're courting? Trust is being developed. This is a good guy. My mom and dad like him. He's a hard worker. He loves God. He's a good guy. He treats me good. He's polite. And as trust develops, don't, don't, hold on, I'm almost done. Respect is now being developed. Because trust and respect are the two main roots to a healthy, Godly, blessed marriage. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't do that. Yes, you can. Pray. Read the Bible. Love God before you look for a spouse. Because everything you do will be monitored and filtered through your love for God. You'll respect her. She'll respect you. You'll trust her. Oh, man. You guys don't ever get to do anything, man. Hold hands, kiss. I want to tell you what. I can chase her around all, all day if I feel to. Because we did it right. And your conscience is clean, your mind is clean, your heart is clean. This is good. This is right. If you did it, if you did it another way, you did it your way and you got ahead of God, get it under the blood. And autocorrect. Say, you know what? I, I'm not making any the, the problem I'm seeing with people is is the repentance. It, it's repentance is supposed to come into living color. It's not just what you say, it's what you do. To somebody that's truly repentant, you're powerful. There's nobody, there ain't no devil that can stop a repentant person. Hallelujah. I've got just, well. It's after 9 o'clock. How many of you want me to keep going? 
The essence of this principle goes beyond style, trends, fads. Pastor, I just can't find any modest clothing. See that woman right there. She's got more websites. There are we entire websites dedicated to modest attire. Well, Pastor, I don't have anything but these clothes. This is what you do. This is what you do. You begin to buy modest clothing and then get rid of five garments. Get modest clothes. When I got saved, all my clothing was black leather, pointed elf boots, ripped up clothes, ripped this, ripped that, ripped this. I had one suit. I had one pair of socks. I had one pair of shoes. I had one tie. And brother, let me tell you, I had to wash that shirt after every service. I had permanent ring around the collar because I was so energetic about God. But I want to tell you what, I've never looked back. I've never gone back. I didn't, hold, I didn't hide clothes in the closet in case this didn't work out. And maybe I can go back to my old life. No. Say, you know what, I'm all in, God. I'm all in, God. And God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you beyond anything you can imagine. throw your cigarettes away? Well, <laughs> almost. What'd you do? They're in the garage in the bottom drawer of the toolbox. Just in case this don't work out, you can go back to sin, huh? That's exactly why that first generation never went into the promised land. They were always wanting to go back to Egypt. The minute there was a trial, the minute it got a little hot, the minute it got a little hard, the minute... That ain't no way to live. Come on, burn the bridge. Sink the ships. Get rid of all that nasty stuff and say, I'm not a friend of the world anymore. I'm going to be a friend of Jesus. Come on, clap your hands and give him praise. Let's give him glory for a minute. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. tell you, these things called leggings, to me they look like long johns. I wear those during deer season. And I like the pastors wearing, you ain't never going to see them because they're under my jeans. But leggings do not compensate for immodesty. They don't make up for it. If a woman feels like, well, I need a little bit more mobility, you know, I need a slit in the back of my skirt. Make sure that slit is below the knees. I saw a slit one time in a woman's dress that was halfway to the moon. She would have been better off wearing a miniskirt. We don't want to see that here. We're not here to be so Puritan that we just walked off the Mayflower. I don't believe we need to do that. I believe there's enough style and color and, and good taste that we can be a great, modest, godly group of people. But we are not going to put up with the immodesty. If I can see a line under your clothing, your clothing is too tight. Amen. You know, if you prayed through and got in the Holy Ghost, you'd be going, man, that guy is wrong. That is right. I had to go up to a certain individual in this church, and I do this because I love him. I said, 
you know the pastor loves you. Yeah, I know, I know, but your skirt is too tight. Okay, pastor. If I can see a lie, if I can see what's underneath, it means that your outer garment is too tight. Now, in my case, I just need to lose weight. That's my problem. I would extrapolate on that, but I'd get in trouble with a lot of people tonight. So I'll leave that one alone. But modesty is more than just length, sleeve length, and skirt length. We should never dress in such a way that's provocative enough that we're trying to elicit or solicit the eyes of somebody. Your motives are wrong. You don't need that. You're not going about it the right way. And all the parents say, amen. And all the young, young people say, right on. All right, I'm just checking you out. Now, Sunday, when we put the pedal to the metal, there's going to be so much glory and so much power. Pe people go, now I figured it out. The reason why this church is on the edge of going lunar is because they do this stuff. I remember, and I'm closing with this. I remember a couple coming in. It wasn't this church, but I've had people do this. But another church, they were holy, they were sanctified, they were godly, they were praying godly people. This doesn't make us any better than anybody. This just makes us God's people. There has to be a majority, and there is. There is a very healthy majority of people in this church that are following after these principles, which is why we have the visitation and the habitation that we have in this church. I remember a couple very influential, well-off couple talking to the pastor after church. And he said, Pastor, we love this church. Our church used to do stuff like this, but they don't even do it anymore. Nobody talks in tongues. They don't even get baptized anymore. It's just, just a non-denominational just, it's just a group. We love this church. We love what we feel. We love what we hear. We love what we see. And we really want to make this church our home. But we need you to lighten up on, you know, televisions in people's homes. And the pastor looked at him. He said, you're here because you like what you feel, right? Yeah. You're here because you like what you hear, right? You're here because you like what you see, right? If we allow that stuff into people's lifestyles, you can kiss what you feel goodbye. You can kiss what you see goodbye. And you can kiss what you hear goodbye. It's the difference that makes the difference. Let's stand to our feet and clap our hands and give God the praise. Come on, somebody. Let's give him praise. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. Don't talk to me about dress codes. The military has a dress code. The government has a dress code. Corporations have dress codes. Microsoft has a dress code. Corporations, multi-million dollar people, they all have dress codes. I had to use the bathroom at Mr. Car Wash. 
And I was stopped dead in my tracks, Brother Mike Whitmire, because right there next to the bathroom door was an employee standing like this with a Mr. Car Wash outfit on that had all these, and I took, I actually took a picture of it. I was looking for it on my phone. I couldn't find it. But I took a picture of it, and it said, we'll not have any tattoos that are exposed. We'll not wear any body jewelry. We'll not have hair flying around. Has to be in a rubber band. Has to be neatly tucked up under the hat. We'll not have this. We'll not have that. We'll wear a long sleeve shirt. We'll wear this. We'll wear boots. And I thought, if a car wash. Now, Bernie Sanders has his way. You're going to be making $20 an hour at that car wash. But guess what? Bernie ain't going to get it. So get a little bit of an education, get the Holy Ghost to get a better job than $15 an hour, and go ahead and be what God wants you to be. Clap your hands and give him the praise. If a car wash can make those kind of demands. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Thank God for the word. Thank God for the spirit. Thank God for the principles that bring the glory and the power and the divine favor of God upon a people. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I praise you. I thank you for this people. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your blessings, your power, your direction, and all the promises that you've given to us as a people. It's exhilarating. It's glorious. And it's wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Be upon every individual. Be in every home. Be in every marriage. Be upon every young person. Bless them, lead them, guide them, strengthen them. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. This section over here? This section over here? You're dismissed.